Thank you, Edith. It's great to be with you. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Rich. I'm part of the leadership team here at King's. And as John acknowledged, we know that on days like this, we often have visitors with us. So again, if that's you, I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. Just in these next few moments, I'm going to explain what this is all about, what baptism is all about, and why we're making such a big deal about three people getting into a pool of water. So if you've spent any time on the internet, you'll have seen before and after photos that show a supposed transformation in someone's life. The internet is full of these. So the man who goes from 28 stone to 12 stone in a week. The woman whose face and body are barely recognisable from how they looked before, all because of a simple change that she made to her life. Or sometimes it's the other way around, where it says things like, you won't believe what this once beautiful actress looks like now. And we know we're not meant to click on those things, but there's just something that's quite compelling about it. We heard earlier just a small glimpse of Sarah and Oliver and Favor's story of what's brought them to the decision to get baptised today, of how Jesus has changed them. And what I want to contend today is that behind these stories and every salvation story in this room, in your story, if you're a follower of Jesus, is a story of total transformation. Total transformation. And for those of us who've been Christians for many years to the point where perhaps coming to church is just something that we do on a Sunday, well, I want to remind us of why the story of how Jesus has transformed us should never become over-familiar to us, why this is still worth getting excited about today. So let's get into the Bible. We're in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along in your Bible. If not, the words will come up on the screen Uh, behind me, Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. So this is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And this is the living word of God. We believe that, don't we? This is the, the word of God. It has power to speak to us today. So let's read this together. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the wonderful truth of what we just read, the wonderful truth of the gospel. And I pray you'd be speaking to us today. I thank you you're here. I thank you know us. I thank you you're for us. And wherever we're at, Lord, whether this is brand new to us or whether we've been 
Christians for many, many years, Lord, I pray you'd reveal to us again the wonder of who you are and what you've done. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know, there are all kinds of things that we can do as human beings to improve our lives and to better ourselves. So we can upskill. We can go onto YouTube and train ourselves in all kinds of new skills. We could learn a lesson in a foreign language. We could make a decision to change our diet, perhaps to have a fully plant-based diet. The decision to follow Jesus is nothing like that. If we ever think that becoming a Christian is just a small change, just an add-on to our lives, then we totally miss the point. The Bible doesn't let us do that. Paul is clear in that passage that I've just read. This is about death and life. This is a death-to-life story. So Paul gives us the bad news first. He writes this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. So he's saying you were living, but at the same time, you were dead. And that's a pretty stark assessment, isn't it? See, when we talk about what is wrong with human beings, we don't tend to talk in those terms. We might admit we're not perfect. We might happily admit that we have our weaknesses. We might even talk in terms of being broken or lost, but the gospel is actually more offensive than that. The gospel says that without Jesus, our true state is that we're dead, that we're physically alive, but spiritually dead. And you know, that's offensive to us because we might feel like we're doing okay in life. We might be doing well in our career. We might be climbing the ladder and building a good reputation. We might excel at sport. We might be popular with plenty of friends and followers on social media. And you will know plenty of people who are not followers of Jesus, but who are good people perhaps who are wonderful, loving parents to their kids, people with strong moral beliefs, people who fight for good causes and stand up to injustice. But Paul says that without Jesus, we are dead. And what Paul is saying is that this includes everyone, that this is the the universal human condition apart from God. In verse 3, he writes, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, And following its desires and thoughts. And his argument is that this spiritual death controls and dominates everything that we do. So we go after things that we think will satisfy us, we follow our desires. But at the center of everything is me. And I know this from my own past that my plans for my life were all about me. The way I approached relationships was all about what I could get from them, it was all about my desires. See, our biggest problem is not just that we're imperfect or broken, it's that we're spiritually dead. And this is the great tragedy of humanity, that people who are created by God and for God are living without God, that we are spiritually dead. I got home from work the other day and I found a mouse lying on its back in our garden. These things happen a lot when you've got a cat. But we've got three young kids and they don't like dead animals, which is fairly normal, I think. So one of my regular tasks in my role as a parent is to remove dead animals quickly and subtly. But before I picked this thing up and moved it to its final resting place, I wanted to be sure that this thing was dead, that it wasn't just plain dead. So I poked it with a stick and then I poked it again. This thing was definitely Dead. There's just no other way of describing it. It wasn't weak, it wasn't lost, it was dead. 
And that's what the Bible says we're like without Jesus. See, the problem is when we minimise our deadness apart from God, we minimise what we need and we minimise what God has done for us. So if we think that our biggest problem is just that we're weak in a few areas or that we lack a bit of knowledge and insight, well, we can educate ourselves. If we understand our biggest problem as brokenness, well, we'll go to all kinds of places to fix it, to doctors and counsellors and psychologists. But what do you need when you're dead? Well, you need resurrection. This is the astonishing claim of the Bible, that each salvation story is a resurrection story. Paul is clear on this. He writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. See, Sarah's story and Oliver's story and Favor's story and your story, if you're a follower of Jesus, is a resurrection story. It's death to life, that spiritual resurrection. That is why this is such good news. And you know, sometimes if we've been a Christian for a while, we can forget this. We forget how Jesus has changed us. And the joy and the wonder of the gospel can fade and lose its shine. And we can take for granted what we now have in Jesus. So I want you to think, just for a moment, particularly if you've been a Christian for quite a long time, what were you like? What were you really like before you knew Jesus? Now, on the outside, it might have looked like you were doing okay, but what was at the core of your life? What hopes and ambitions did you have? Who was at the center of your thoughts and your dreams? I appreciate that we are works in progress. I know very well that in me, there are still many areas where God is working to transform me. And some of these deep-rooted things in us take time to change. But let's not minimise the transformation he has brought. The Bible is clear. This is death to life. And you know, as human beings, we can do add-ons and improvements, but only God can raise the dead. Only God can bring the dead to life. I love the story of um, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This is a real event that actually happened, but it's also a great picture of what God does spiritually in our lives when we really get who Jesus is. Many of you will know the story. In John 11, Lazarus is sick and he's dying. And so his sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus. And Jesus says this line. He says, this sickness will not end in death. And it's a strange line because as you read through the story, you think, well, Lazarus does die. So did Jesus somehow get that wrong? And by the time Jesus does finally show up at Lazarus's tomb, he's been dead for four days and his sisters are weeping. But Jesus says... Take away the stone. And he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And it says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And then you see that Jesus' words make absolute sense. This sickness will not end in death. See, yes, Lazarus will die. But his story doesn't end there. Death will not have the final word. Lazarus was dead, but Jesus made him alive. And we don't know how that worked. As his heart restarted and began repumping blood around his body again, we don't know at what point Lazarus became responsive. But what is clear is that there was nothing that Lazarus did to raise himself from the dead. He was completely powerless. He was dead. It was the power of God that raised him. 
And this is the great hope we have as Christians, isn't it? That one day as followers of Jesus, though we will physically die, we'll be raised and we'll see Jesus. But we also have new life in Christ now because of what Jesus has done. Paul is saying that what happened to Lazarus physically is what happens to us spiritually when we become alive to the truth of who Jesus is, that we're raised to life. So if you're a Christian, if you're able to say that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, then your salvation was down to nothing you did. It was the power of God that raised you. That's the emphasis of the passage I read. It's all about what God has done. God made us alive. God raised us up with Christ. God seated us with him in the heavenly realms. What did we do in that? We did nothing. We were dead. And you can say, well, I had to have faith to respond. But Paul says, even your faith was a gift from God. It was nothing to do with work so that no one could boast. Jesus called Lazarus and Lazarus was raised. Jesus called you and you were raised. And you know, in human terms, what that looked like will have been different for each one of us. You might have had a single moment in your life that you can remember where you were changed, just like Paul himself on the way to Damascus. Well, for me, it was a call that played out over many, many years with countless people involved. My mum and dad faithfully taking me to Sunday school each week, even when I hated it, and put up a fight. Youth leaders who stuck with me, praying grandparents. And then a moment in London, reading a book, walking to work, where I saw my life in a whole new way. People that I'd hurt, things I'd done. And it was like a light came on in that moment. I saw what Jesus had done for me, and the grace of God poured over me. Someone preached the gospel to me at that time at a lunchtime church service and it suddenly all made sense. What is that? That's the call of Jesus. That is Jesus pursuing me and going after me and waking me up to a new reality and to new purposes and to a new future, to a new life with new desires. It's by grace that we've been saved. Now, how is that possible? How can we go from death to life only because God himself came to die? See, the message of the gospel is that because of his great love for us, Jesus comes and he lives the life that we cannot live. And he's full of grace and love and truth and compassion. He defends the poor and the marginalized. He takes broken people and makes them whole again. He forgives and he heals and he brings life. And then he chooses the cross. And at the cross, he takes upon himself all our sin and shame, the sin and shame of every human being. Every time we followed the desires of this world and the cravings of our flesh instead of following him, and he takes the blame and the punishment that we deserve. And he dies on that cross. But on the third day, he walks away from the grave. And in that moment, the power of sin and death is broken so that for those who are in Jesus, death will never again have the final word. And for us, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're in Christ, then that is what has happened to us too, that we're raised with him, that we're seated with him. And all the blessing that Jesus deserves is poured out on us as his followers. We go from death to life. And we get to live this new life that's centred around him and not around us. I mean, think about what Lazarus would have been like the day after he was raised. I mean, that's going to change you, isn't it? If you're dead for four days and you're beginning to rot in the grave and then Jesus brings you back to life. Imagine the depth of gratitude that he would have had towards Jesus. Jesus. 
Imagine how his priorities would have shifted. Imagine the story that he had to tell people. I don't think you'd have been able to stop him. Is that true of us too? As God raises us to a new life, he calls us into new purposes and priorities, into a story that is bigger than our own. Paul puts it like this in verse 10, for we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that, that we're God's handiwork. We're people with his mark on us. He's created us for good works. And we don't do these things to pay God back. And none of these good works will ever change our standing before God. But as he breathes new life into us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now in us, we get to be part of this bigger story. Loving the people that God has placed in our lives, reflecting the creativity and life and love and kindness and power of God in this broken world. Bringing hope where there's hopelessness and light where there's darkness and life where there's death. We were dead, but now we're living trophies of his grace. That is real transformation. And what we're going to witness in just a few moments' time is a great picture of all that. So as Sarah and Favor and Oliver go into the water, they're saying that their old life died with Christ. That the life that they once lived is now dead. And then if they're lucky, we'll pull them back out of the water. (laughs) And And that will represent the resurrected life that's now made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6, 4 says this, We were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And you know, there's nothing special or magic about this water. But it's all about what God has done in Sarah and Favor and Oliver's life. This is resurrection, spiritual death to spiritual life. That is the story that we're celebrating today. And if you're a Christian, that is your story too. So as I I finish, don't lose your joy and wonder at the gospel. Don't play down or minimise what Jesus has done in your life. Don't let the gospel story lose its shine. Your own salvation story is a death to life story that speaks of something bigger, that death isn't the end, that Jesus has the victory and that there's a God who brings the dead to life. That's worth celebrating, isn't it? Amen. Amen.